You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us, you and I, to pro- all we always win. We always triumph in Christ. Please tag a friend. Let them know that we're live. You can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Now, listen, we're going to conclude a series that I began uh, some time ago uh, entitled No Pressure, You Can Handle It. And I um, decided to to do this series because of the environment that we've been in for the last year uh, and a half, uh, pandemic and all that. So many people are concerned about, we're concerned about so many things from uh, the virus, COVID-19, to unemployment, to school, and all the different issues that the pandemic uh, brought our way. But it looks like we're uh, nearing, hopefully, I'm praying, I know you're praying, we're seeing some daylight for this thing to end, and I'm excited about it. So we're talking about no pressure you can handle. Whatever uh, life throws at you, you can handle it. Our theme is overcoming the pressures of life, overcoming the pressures of life. And there, I had a threefold goal. We wanted to control stress, accept the peace that Jesus offers, and we wanted to choose rest. Control stress, we talked about it for two weeks under the subtopic, pressure-free life, the pressure-free life. Accepting peace, we uh, subtitle that two weeks, the anxiety-free life. And then last week, we began a two-part subtopic entitled the struggle-free life, the struggle-free life. Now, we began this last week, so this is part two. And this is our final lesson on no pressure. We'll begin something else uh, next week, uh, but this is our final lesson. We're talking about the struggle-free life. If you if you uh, did not listen to last week, you can go back and and you can uh, hear part uh, one. I believe it'll be a blessing. And I wanted to establish that struggle. Uh, never was a part of God's plan for man. That struggle came under the curse, the struggle-free life. And there are so many other things that we talked about. But let's conclude our lesson today. And let's look at this struggle-free life from the spiritual side. And then we'll close by looking at the natural side the spiritual side and the natural side. In most things of the kingdom, whether it be spiritual growth, whether it be mental uh, health, whether it be physical health, whether it be financial prosperity, most things in the kingdom will entail a spiritual side and a natural side. 
So I want to talk about the spiritual side of the struggle-free life. In fact, let's make the confession. I live a struggle-free life. Come on, say that one more time. I live a struggle-free life. Let's talk about the spiritual side, resting in the finished works of Christ, resting in the finished works of Christ. Now, our uh, background scripture is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3b in the New Living Translation. And by the way, I do have my iPad here for any comments that you like to make, uh, any questions you like to ask at the end of the teaching, then I'll answer your questions or communicate your comments. But let's talk about resting in the finished work works of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, in the New Living Translation. It says, when he had cleansed us, referring to Jesus, when he, Jesus, had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majesty, majestic God in heaven. So we see that Jesus came in the flesh, uh, lived here 33 uh, and a half years. He completed the work of redemption. And the Bible says, then he sat down on the right hand of the majestic God, our Father God. Sitting down implies that he was finished with his redemptive works. Now, rest is connected to understanding, embracing, acting out on the finished works of Christ. Now, I've studied this for some time now, and what there was a revelation that I got, and I'd like to share it with you today, is that in the New Testament, there is a difference between a promise and a spiritual reality. There's a difference between, now we're talking about rest. Remember, we're talking about rest. There is a difference between a promise and a spiritual reality. Let's define our terms. A promise is future-oriented. It is future-oriented. A promise is a declaration that one will or will not do a certain thing in the future. It is a declaration that one will or will not do a certain thing in the future. And in the New Testament, and we're New Testament Christians, but it's also true uh, as it relates to promises in the Old Testament. The Bible is full of promises, things that God promised us. For example, Luke 6, 38 is a promise. It says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. That's a promise. It's a promise because God is declaring that if you and I give, then men, he will cause men out in the future, 
He'll cause men to give back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It is a promise because it is future-oriented. Now, the scripture also says in James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So we're, in, we're encouraged, instructed to do something, draw near to God. And then the promise is if we'll draw near to God, then God will draw near to us. Well, God drawing near to us is future of us drawing near to God. So it's a promise. And there are promises all through uh, the New Testament. Now, here's what I, I've learned about uh, the finished works of Christ. There's a difference between a promise and a spiritual reality. Now, what is a spiritual reality? A spiritual reality is something spoken in the past tense. In other words, the action has already taken place. And, and the amazing revelation that I received, and I've shared this for a, some years now, is that the predominant language of the New Testament, the predominant language of the uh, God speaking to the New Testament believer is in the past tense. And what I've discovered is that many Christians are not resting because they're trying to get God to do what he's already done. I also discovered that many Christians who think they're in faith are not in faith because they're not agreeing with God's declaration. So let's look at some examples of spiritual reality. So remember, we're talking about rest. I'm not in left field somewhere. I'm talking about us resting in God. Uh, a big key to overcoming the pressures of life is that we can rest even when there's pressure all around us. We can rest. Now listen at this. These are examples it's not an exhaustive list, but these are examples of what a spiritual reality sounds like or look like or is. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us believers from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us. Curse of the law is spiritual death, sickness, poverty, a failure. The Bible says that Christ has redeemed us. He set us free. He paid the price necessary for our release. That's what redeem means. Christ has redeemed us. Now, notice the tense. Christ has redeemed us. Not he's going to. Christ has redeemed us. Now, notice this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. So notice the tense. There's 
past tense, present tense, future tense. But notice the tense in this verse. It says, God has delivered us. That's past tense. Now he's going to deliver us. He has delivered us. Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness or the authority of Satan. And he's translated us. That's past tense. We're not going to be translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Now, I'm doing some, medita- some study and meditation on the kingdom of God, and I got some, I got some uh, teachings that I'm going to do in the future on the kingdom of God. See, in the new birth, we were translated from one kingdom to another kingdom. We're not going to be translated We're already translated. We're already in the kingdom. If you receive Jesus, you're in the kingdom. That's a spiritual reality. That's not a promise. God is not promising you that you're going to be delivered from Satan's authority. You are delivered now according to the Bible. Now listen at Romans 6, 18. Being then made free from sin, being then made free from sin, made free from sin. So now notice many Christians are trying to get free from sin. And, 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 and they pray often, God, I want you to help me to get free from this sin. I want you to help me get free from this sin. So even though they're seeking God for help, they're not agreeing with God because God in the New Testament says that we've been made free from sin. And even though we may be entangled in a sin from God's perspective, we have been delivered and made free from that sin. Now, faith is agreeing with what God says. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, listen at this. Galatians chapter 5, it's all through the New Testament. The predominant language in the New Testament is in the past tense. Galatians 5, 1 says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Stand fast in the liberty. But think about how many Christians are trying to get free from bondages. I'm trying to get free from the bondages. Well, the Bible says we're to stand in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. So according to the Bible, we've been liberated. We're not trying to get out of bondage. We've been liberated. The scripture says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, it's all through the New Testament. And listen to the tense. Christ has made us accepted in the beloved. Christ has, Ephesians 1, 6, Christ has made us accepted in the beloved. Christ has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, notice two things here. This uh, declaration from God is that we're accepted and that we're loved. Not only are we loved, we're in the beloved. We're in God's bosom. God loves us. 
But think about all the Christians walking around feeling like they're not accepted, dealing with rejection. They don't like me. They don't want me. They, they don't need me. And they're trying to overcome rejection when the Bible says that God hath made us accepted. We're already accepted. Let's look at Ephesians 1.3. It says, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Yet we got Christians trying to get blessed, praying for a blessing. When Ephesians 1.3 says that God hath blessed us, so you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now listen what Colossians 1 again says, Colossians 1.12. It says, God has made us meet, M-E-E-T, God has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. God has made us meet, M-E-E-T, to be partakers of the inheritance. Now notice what it says, God has made us. That's past tense, God has made us. Now the word meet is an interesting word. We don't use that word. In our vocabulary, uh, the way it's used here in Colossians 1.12, the word meet literally means worthy, and it means qualified. So we could say it like this, Colossians 1.12, God has made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance. Or we could say it like this, God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. So when you receive Christ into your life, God endowed you with an inheritance. And you don't have to try, if you're born again, you don't have to try to get worthy of the inheritance. You don't have to try to be good enough for the inheritance. The scripture says that God has made you worthy. You said, but I don't feel worthy. I don't feel uh, qualified. Well, let's, let's forget about what you're feeling right now and let's accept what God is saying. Let's look at two more examples. It's all through the New Testament. And when you get a revelation of the difference between a promise and a spiritual reality, and you embrace it, I mean, you really get it, it will transform your life, and then it will lead you to a place of rest. Now, listen at 1 Peter 2.24, and we quote this a lot. We quote this a lot, and yet we see Christians all around us who die. Dying from sickness, dying, and, and, and listen to me, I'm not being judgmental. I'm not talking about the worth of a person. I already said God has made us worthy, so I'm not taking that back. But I'm saying many Christians who think they're in faith for healing, they're not. They're not in faith. And so we think that God let them down, and some of us get discouraged, and we we uh, disillusioned because we know they were good people and all that. But I'm telling you, many Christians who have been taught healing, well, many Christians have never been taught that God wants them well. They don't see divine healing as a part of the covenant. 
but there are many Christians who have been taught, have been taught that Jesus bore our sicknesses and Jesus carried our pains, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And many have been taught this scripture here in 1 Peter 2.24. It says, the B part, the latter part of the verse, it says, by Jesus' stripes, we, you, we, us, were healed. Now listen at the tense. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed. You were healed. Didn't say you're going to be. Didn't say God is going to bring. No, it says you were healed. You were healed 2,000 years ago. When Jesus took the stripes on his body, he was whipped. In the mind of God, every major disease, sickness, disease, infirmity, weakness was placed on Jesus' body. When Jesus went to the cross, those sicknesses, those diseases were in his body. When he was nailed to the cross, those sicknesses and disease were in his body. Then the Bible says he gave up the ghost. He died. How did he die? He died from the sicknesses and disease. You can put any kind of medical term to it, but he died sick. He was sick. He, he had lost blood. He, uh, he couldn't breathe, all these kinds of things. So physically, he died from an ailment, from a loss of blood, loss of oxygen, all that. But he also died with our sicknesses and diseases. So in the mind of God, when Jesus died on the cross, our sicknesses, your sicknesses, my sicknesses were legally dealt with. So from God's perspective, the sickness and diseases of mankind, past, present, and future, all mankind were taken away. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write 1 Peter 2.24. It says, by his stripes, this is God saying it now, you were healed. That's not a promise. God is not promising you anything in that. That is not a promise. God is not promising you healing. He's not promising you he's going to heal you one day. He's not promising you uh, that one day uh, uh, you're going to get a breakthrough. God is not promising that. God is not promising you healing. Healing for you, if you're a Christian, is a spiritual reality. The action has already taken place. God has done everything he's going to do for you to be healed. You were healed by the strength of Jesus. That's a spiritual reality. That's not a promise now. And resting is resting in the finished works of Christ. And one final uh Example, 2 Peter 1, 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, God has given unto us all things 
that pertain to life and godliness. God has given to us. God has given. God has given. That's past tense. He's not going to. He's not going to give us. God has given to us all things that pertain to life. That's our natural life and godliness. That's our spiritual life. So God has already placed at your account everything that you will need for your natural success and everything that you will need for your spiritual success and spiritual victory. He's already done it. Now, we're talking about resting in the finished work of Christ. Now, faith in the finished work of Christ produces rest. I'm no longer striving. There remains a rest to the people of God. He that has believed has ceased from his own works. So when I'm resting in the finished work, I want you to listen to me. You say, well, I've heard that. No, I, I know you've heard it, but I want you to walk in it now. God wants you to walk in it. Now listen at this. Rest comes as we cease from the work of trying to be worthy. So once you stop that, I want you to stop trying to be worthy. I want you to stop trying to be good enough. Push that off the table. Forget about that. God says you are worthy. He's made you worthy. So rest means I'm never going to declare myself unworthy of God's inheritance. You, you have to remove that, I don't deserve it. Get that off the table. God knew we didn't deserve it. That's why he sent Jesus, so that Jesus could qualify us through his finished work and make us worthy. So you deserve it, not because of you, you deserve it because of Jesus. So lest you, you rest now comes when you cease, number one, rest comes, number one, when you cease from trying to be worthy. I'm going to say that again. That's number one. I got two or three of these. Rest comes, number one, when you cease from the work of trying to be worthy. I'm going to say that one more time. Rest will come to you when you cease, stop the work of trying to be worthy. From this day forward, you're never, ever going to try to be worthy. You're going to accept what Jesus says that you've been made worthy. So you're not going to try to do that anymore. So you're going to rest. You're going to rest. You're going to rest. Well, some of you that I'm talking to right now, and I, I see a comment. Some of you are, are, are right now, you are totally, totally out of faith because you don't believe you deserve it. You looked at your life, you looked at your mistakes, you see your weaknesses, you see all this, you see everything about you, and you see nothing about Jesus. You see everything 
about you, your weaknesses, your shortcomings, your sins, your mistakes, what you did, but you are not looking at Jesus. So you're going to stop that. And, and I'm telling you, once you stop that, for some of you, you're going you're to sense rest because you've been trying your best to be worthy enough. And then you make a mistake, you're in your sin, then you do something, and then, oh, I don't deserve it anymore. So you're in that deserve thing, so you're going to push that off. Now watch this. Rest comes, secondly, when you cease from trying to merit or earn the blessings of God. In other words, you're never going to try to earn it anymore. You're not going to try to earn the blessings. You're not going to try to earn, uh, merit the blessings. You're going to stop doing that. You're going to agree with God that you've been blessed, that you are blessed. So you're never going to try to merit it. You're never going to try to, you know, earn it. In other words, if you're going to pray, pray. Okay, but it's not your praying four hours a day or all that. Now you don't you earned it. Now you got a right to it or you studied five hours yesterday and now you got a right to it. Okay, you're going to stop from doing that. You're going to stop. You're going to meditate the word. You're going to pray, but you're not praying and meditating the word so that you can earn it. You're not trying to get enough points, you know, so God can finally bless you because you're already blessed. You're already blessed. So you're going to cease from that. Now, listen, thirdly, rest comes as we now I want you to I want you to make a note this. Put this in your phone, write it down on your pad, what, in your Bible, whatever you need to do, you need to put this somewhere. Rest comes, thirdly, as we agree with God that we already have it when God spoke it, not when we receive it. Now, that's a mouthful, so I'm going to say that two or three times. I'm going to say that two or three times. And this is so major so many people are struggling because they're not resting in the finished work of Christ. Now, here's the third thing. Rest comes as we agree with God that we already have it when God spoke it, not when we receive it. I'm going to say that one more time because I want you to get this. Rest, thirdly, rest comes when we agree with God that we already have it when God spoke it, not when we receive it. Okay, now I'm going to quote that, break it down, look at some of the spiritualities that we, we said, and, and hopefully you're going to get this. Rest comes when we agree with God. We agree with God that we already have it when God spoke it, not when we receive it. So if God says that we um, have been made free from sin, if God says stand in the liberty where Christ has made us free, then we're going to agree 
with God that we already have liberty and freedom from the pornography, from the alcohol, from the cigarettes, from the anger, from whatever it is, we're going to agree with God that we already have the freedom from it. We're going to agree with God that we already have the freedom from it. When God spoke it, and God has already spoken it, not when we receive it. So if it's an ungodly soul tie, we, we connect it to somebody and we know it's not good. We know it, but our flesh just want him, want her. Uh, we know that it's, it's not good for us. We know, but we just so emotionally connected. And maybe you've been struggling with it, struggling, trying to get out of it, struggling. You've been struggling, trying to overcome the pornography and struggling, trying to stop this and stop that. You've been struggling. Okay, let's stop the struggle and let's agree. He said, being then made free from sin. So rather than sin, let's put whatever you're dealing with. Being made free from that, stand fast in the liberty with, with Christ has made us free. So the Bible says, stand fast in the liberty. You've been made free. You've been made free from the pornography. You've been made free from the ungodly soul tie. You've been made free from the anger. You've been made free from whatever it is. The Bible says you've been made free you say, I'm trying to quit smoking. Well, you've been made free from it. You've been made free from it. So let's agree with God that we already have the freedom when God spoke it. And he's already said it. So we're free from the cigarettes now. We, we deliver from it now. We've been trying for years, but we're not going to try anymore. We're going to agree that we're delivered when God spoke it. Not when we receive it. And even though we still puffing, we still puffing that cigarette, we're going to agree. We may still be watching pornography, but we're going to agree with God that we already have it. Because God has spoken it. So we're going to do the same thing with healing. We're going to agree with God, even though we feel the pain, even though we we having the headaches, even though we're dealing with the issue, even though we may even be hospitalized right now with COVID-19 or at home with COVID-19, we're going to agree with God that we already have it when God spoke it and God spoke it 2000 years ago. By his stripes, you were healed. So we're going to agree with God that we're healed now before we receive it. We're not going to wait to receive it to agree. No, we're going to agree with it while we're experiencing the sickness, while we're, we're going to agree that we're healed now. And we're never going to try to get it because the moment you try to get it, you don't believe you got it. Now you're not in faith. You have to believe 
you are healed now because God has already spoken it. And when you believe that way and you can take all these promises and you, you have to do it, you have to agree with him. So, so many of you, you're trying to get what God has already given. So God wants you to agree with him. That's called faith because you agree with him that you already have it. When he spoke it, not when you receive it. So you're not waiting to receive it to agree with God. In your heart, you agree with it. With your mouth, you're going to agree with it. And you, to the best of your ability, to the be- you're going to act like you already got it. You're going to act it out like you got it. And God calls that faith. And really, to be honest with you, there's no struggle in faith while you're struggling with some you already have. See, that's why I say many Christians are not in faith because they're struggling to get what God says they already have. Well, Pastor, Mike, I don't, I don't have it yet. Well, see, God says we walk by faith and not by sight. But you're going to rest now. You know, you're going to rest now in what God has said, and that's called faith. And so you're going to get the struggle out. Now, you got to meditate on that because that, that's powerful stuff. I've seen it work in my life. I've seen it work in the lives of other people who got it. They really got it. Okay, I saw it. Okay, I see it right now. The second area of this spiritual thing, and, I, and I'm going I'm to try to wrap this up in a, in a few minutes. Resting in the use of our supernatural language that God gave us. Those of you that are Christians and you've took the next step and you've been baptized with the Spirit, with the, this new language, the Bible calls speaking with tongues. The Bible says in Isaiah 28, verse 11 through 12, in the King James Version, it says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest. This is the rest. Notice God connecting rest to speaking in tongues. Wherein, wherein, where with you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So we see from the scripture that God has provided believers with a supernatural means to experience rest by speaking in other tongues. So when you're feeling really weary, you know, when you're feeling really weary, and much of the time it's not not just physically, it's emotionally. You're just so tired of trying. You're just so tired of trying. Then take a season, and it's not how long now. When you start feeling that overwhelmed thing, take a little time and start praying in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. Pray and do that on a regular basis. When you really feel overwhelmed or just I mean, wiped out emotionally, take some time and begin to pray in the spirit, praying in tongues. The Bible says that this is the rest that God has given to us. So use that. Now, let's close this lesson on on, 
on uh, the struggle-free life by looking at the natural side. We talked about the spiritual side. We talked about resting in the finished work of Christ. We talked about praying in tongues. Now let's look at the natural side. It won't take me but a few minutes to get this natural side. Jim Burns said something. He said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy because it will have the same effect. Jim Burns, B-U-R-N-S-S. If the devil can't make you bad, B-A-D, he'll just make you busy, B-U-S-S-Y, because it will have the same effect. Now, uh, this uh, last section that I want to take a few minutes, I'm calling balance or burnout. It's your choice. You're going to choose to balance or you're going to choose burnout. We're talking natural. We're not talking spiritual now. I have a book, and, and I recommend the book, called Hope, H-O-P-E, Quotient, Q-U-O-T-I-E-N-T, Hope Quotient, H-Q, by Ray Johnston, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, Ray Johnston. And in this book, uh, in in one of his chapters, he gave several questions we should ask to bring back balance in our life. In one of his chapters in the book, he asked several questions that we should ask to bring balance. I'm talking about natural balance. And I want to share with you two of the questions in, in, in this last few minutes that I have. The first question he asked in his book is, and this is a question you should be asking yourself. Have I stopped believing I'm invincible? Have I stopped believing I am invincible? Because there's a God and I'm not him. Here's the question he asks in this chapter. He said, have I, and this is the question you're asking yourself. So why don't you say it after me? Have I stopped believing I am invincible? Because there's a God and I am not him. Have I stopped believing I'm invincible because there's a God and I'm not him? In other words, he's saying that we all have limits. We have physical limits and what we can do. We have emotional limits and what we can cope with. We have mental limits and how much we can process. We have space limits in that we can only be in one place at a time. We're not the Holy Spirit. We can't be everywhere at at the same time. We have time limits in that we only have 24 hours a day. We have physical limits in what we can do, emotional limits, and what we can cope with, mental limits, and how much we can process, space limits, and that we can only be in one place 
at a time and then time limits in that we can we only have 24 hours in a day. So here's the, here's the key to this question. Get realistic about your limits. Get realistic about your limits. And if you get realistic about your limits, it will release you or free you from overcommitment. Get realistic about your limits. And I've had to do that in ministry because there's a lot of people who have a lot of needs and a lot of desires and a lot of wants. And I had to get realistic about my limits. If you get realistic about your limits, then it will free you from overcommitment. Have you ever been overcommitted? I mean, just overcommitted. And when you looked at your life, all these things you're trying to deal with and you're trying to cope with and you're trying to process and you're trying to handle, if, if you feeling overwhelmed, it's because you have not been, real, been realistic about your limits. You still think you're invincible. If you get realistic about your limits, it'll free you. And so that means that means you're going to have to say no to some good things, to some good people, and to some good opportunities. You're going to have to say no. And it's a good thing. It's a good opportunity, and it is a good person. But you're going to have to learn how to say no and, 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 and preserve your energy, your time, your resources, your money. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to stop overcommitting yourself. You're going to have to stop overcommitting. Some parents overcommit themselves. That kids on everything, kids on the soccer team, kids on 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 the on the baseball team at the same time, and kids uh, in the band at the same time. So you run into the band, and you run into the soccer, and then you run into baseball, and you're doing all at the same time, and so you overcommitted, and all of it's good, soccer band, and all of it's good. And some of you, you you got this friend you're trying to spend time with, and you got this thing you're trying to develop, and you got this business you're trying to work, and you're just overcommitted. You're overcommitted. The the, the second question, and it's not in the order of the book, but the second question that in his book that he said we need to ask ourselves, when I relax, do I feel guilty? When I relax, this is what you should be asking yourself. When I relax, do I feel guilty? When I relax, do I feel guilty? Because rest is not a four-letter word. For some people, rest is a four-letter word. It's profanity. Some people are workaholics. Workaholism is not a virtue in the scripture. It may be a virtue in in our culture, but it is not a virtue in the scripture. 
workaholism, and we talk about it. Oh, I'm a workaholic. I'm a workaholic. That's not positive because if you're a workaholic, something is being, some priority is being overlooked. If you're a workaholic, I mean, you just work all the time, then there's something you're neglecting that's valuable. It may be your health, it may be your children, it may be your spouse, it, it may be something. If you are a workaholic, it may be exercise, you're neglecting something. If you're a workaholic, you are neglecting something very important. Now, he, he said something that I thought would be helpful for. It was very practical, and I'll close with this, and I see I got uh, several questions, and I got some comments, and I want to I wanna wrap it up and get to your questions and comments. To be happy and healthy, he uh, told his staff to do three things, and I think it's helpful. We can, we can do this. He said divert daily. Withdraw weekly and abandon annually. Make a note of that. He said, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. So let's look at each one of those right quick. Divert daily. In other words, divide each day into three sections. Divide each day into three sections. Morning to noon is a section. Noon to five is a section. And five and beyond. Three sections. Divide your day into three sections. Morning to noon. Noon to five. That's 5 p.m. And then five and beyond. So you got morning to noon is one section of the day. Noon to 5 p.m. is another section, and then beyond 5 o'clock. And here's what he says. Don't work all three. Don't work all three. Don't work. Divert daily. Some One of these sections, somewhere you're going to have to divert. Somewhere you're going to have to divert. You cannot work all three. So divert daily, withdraw weekly, carve out one day a week for rest, carve out one day a week for recreation, carve out one day of the week. This is all one thing. Carve out one day of the week for God. So you're going to have a day of the week where it's going to be about God and about rest and about recreation. That's going to be your Sabbath. Doesn't necessarily have to be on Sunday. Doesn't have to be on Saturday. But you're going to have a Sabbath rest. Withdraw weekly. You need at least one day. You need at least one day where you're focusing on God. You're focusing on rest. You're focusing on recreation. And then thirdly, abandon annually. That simply means getting away for an extended period from all demands of work. We call that vacation. Getting away for an extended period from all demands of work, which means during this period annually, 
it's got to be at least one time. It would be great if it's twice, but it got to be at least one time where you're going to abandon you're going to get away for an extended period of time. You decide how long that is. Was that a week? Is that two weeks? Whatever it is, you're going to decide what it is. You're going to abandon for an extended period of time from all demands of work, which means you're not going to be answering your phone. You're not going to be on the computer finding out whatever is, is everybody doing. In other words, you're not going to take work to this time. I, I think that's some good stuff. I think it's good stuff. We looked at the spiritual side. We looked at the natural side. And then over the six weeks, we talked about Three, three different things. We talked about stress and we talked about uh, worry, anxiety, and then we talked about struggle and we gave you some tips. So that kind of concludes this series on no pressure. I trust it's been a blessing to you. It'd be great if you share it with others. And when you see people uh, in that mental state where they really struggling mental, give a share this series with them. I believe it'll be a blessing to them. Now, I got some questions. You can still send your questions in while I'm answering the questions, but I got a comment. Glad I tuned in today. Definitely feeling overwhelmed and anxious. Okay. Glad I tuned in today. Well, if you tune in today, and you're definitely feeling overwhelmed and anxious, you're going to have to go back and listen to the other five lessons because if you go back and listen to all six of them, I'm telling you, you will not feel overwhelmed and anxious. If you just hear it and embrace it and act out on it, I think it'll pull you completely out of that state. And I'm glad you shared that with me. Uh, a question, what can we as Christians do daily to help us understand and truly live in spiritual realities? Well, I think the work, uh, the, the work in Christendom to me is meditation. It is spending quality time meditating listening to, hearing, muttering, pondering, visualizing, personalizing. That's what meditation is. On what You can take this lesson today. And sometimes we try to take too much. For example, I have a, a, a lesson on healing. I've listened to that lesson hundreds of times. And, and now I listen to it at least once a week. And it's the same lesson. Sometimes people just trying to meditate on too many things. Sometimes it can be something that jumped out on you. It could be one lesson. It could be whatever. But you're never going to get it until you spend time meditating in it and practicing it. Comment. Pastor Mike, I was so worried about what people felt about me and my past mistakes that they would think I wasn't worthy. I knew God forgave me and my problem was being delivered from people. Well, I'm glad. I, I hope you heard something. You, you, I hope you heard something because I think all most people I know I've been in that thing of want people to accept me, want people to affirm me and all that kind of stuff. I had a big 
problem with people-pleasing, and that's why I dealt with rejection a lot. But I overcame because I realized you're never going to get to a point where everybody accepts you, everybody loves you, everybody affirms you. Really, that is a path of failure. The path of success is accepting that God loves you and God accepts you. You know, if you read the scriptures accurately and not in a religious way, you'll see that even Jesus, who never sinned, perfect life, the Bible says, you read over in John, it says some people accept him, some people rejected him. Some people thought he was a good man, some people thought he was a deceiver. That's Jesus. So there's no way you're going to have everybody accept you, love you, and affirm you. So y'all stop it. What really matters is that God loves you and accepts you. That's what really matters because he's your source. People are not your source. But that's a good comment. Question, can you expound on the challenges of dealing with being unequal in your values, perspective, and disciplines within a relationship or spouse. These aforementioned things are hard to overcome when people have conflict and wills with what you believe. Now, that's a great question. And that's a great question. It can be, I'm going to say something that is not helpful for you, but it may help be helpful for others, singles. The question is, can you expound on the challenges of dealing with being unequal in your values unequal in your perspectives and disciplines within a relationship or spouse. Uh, these aforementioned things are hard to overcome when people have conflict and wills with what you believe. Now, for the single person, that's why God says be not unequally yoked, because once you get into it, your values, perspectives, and disciplines, you want them to agree, not be perfectly aligned, but you, you don't want to be struggling with your spouse believe this, you believe that, your spouse. Now, here's, here's the, the thing that it is hard. It is tough. It is difficult. In situations like that, you have to, in a way, travel a different route. Sometimes we, we travel the route of trying to get a person on the page with us. We 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 trying to get them to believe what we we trying to get them to value what we value. We trying to get them to have the disciplines that we have. I think the route you go that is great when that's in order, but you don't have it in order. So you got to stop trying to make that work. You got to stop trying to make it work. You have to talk to God about it, roll it over on God, and then you have to embrace your values to the very best of your ability. Believe that God will honor you in spite of the fact that you don't have the perfect situation. You got to believe that God will honor your faith and honor your commitment and honor your disciplines. And it's almost like being married and functioning as a single person. And, and, and you said, well, how, do I, how can I do that? You ask him for grace, ask God for more grace, and you, you begin to partner with the Holy Spirit. 
You talk to him. This is what I'm dealing with. He, she doesn't want to do that. Show me how to do this. Show me how to navigate through this. Show me what to say. Show me what, how do I approach this? So now your partnership is not as strong with your spouse. Make your partnership stronger with the Holy Spirit. Develop intimacy with him and he'll help you to navigate through that. That's tough. Pastor, health, nutrition, rest, I think plays to the spiritual and the natural. What, do you, what say you? Yeah, I think that, I think when God sees us, he sees us in a holistic way. He doesn't see us. We teach the division, spirit, soul, and body. But when God sees us, he sees all of it is connected. For example, uh, mental health is connected to physical health. Uh, physical health and rest is connected to physical health. So, yeah, and nutrition, you know, how you're eating is also connected to health and rest. So I see it that it's interconnected. We separate things to teach about it. But the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray the very God of the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body, that you be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God sees us in a holistic way. Spirit, soul, and body are all connected. And so these things, health, nutrition, rest, are all connected. Another question. This is a great lesson. Is the author suggesting that we work one out of the three? If so, most jobs are eight to five. What is your recommendation to ensure rest? No, I don't think he's saying, I don't say, I don't think that he's saying that you, you shouldn't work, but he's saying divert daily. It can't be 24 seven that you're working. Divert daily. It may be an hour Cause see, you may be a mother or some other person and you got work, you got husband, you got kids, and it seemed like it's 24-7. I think what he's saying is do what you have to do in those segments, but in one segment, it may be in the morning segment, maybe in the from from uh, depending on how you work, it may be in the beyond five where you can snatch some time, maybe an hour, maybe 30 minutes where you just resting, you're meditating, you are, are regrouping. And it can't be 24-7. I think that's what he's saying. Uh, can you repeat the name and author of the book that you mentioned? Uh, the name of the author is um, Ray, R-A-Y, Johnston, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, Ray Johnston. And the book is The Hope Quotient, H-O-P-E, Quotient. Q-U-O-T-I-E-N-T. And I think you'll see HQ on the book. But it's a, it's a, it's a good book. And I believe that it'll uh, be a blessing for you. Well, this uh, wraps up our uh, six-part series, No Pressure. I trust you've been blessed. Thank you for your questions and your comments. And we're going to see you next time. Love you.